Hey guys, welcome back to the plant-based podcast, formerly the Vegan Coach podcast, but now I have rebranded and can be found at the underscore plant-based underscore coach on Instagram. So this is the place if you want to have some clarity, some education, and some confidence around planning a plant-based diet. Each week, I will have new episodes with guests ranging from friends, personal trainers, nutritionists, doctors, past clients, and with the goal of just helping you be a little bit healthier on your plant-based diet, answering the questions that you're probably thinking about, and giving you hopefully some entertainment and education along the way. If you enjoyed this episode or any others, please make sure that you listen to others and share them through social media um, so more people can be helped by this. Have a great listen, and I will see you on the other side. Our, we, would, we would get down to maybe 50 degrees to the, the coldest. We would get like 40 degrees, but that's definitely doable. But now with climate change, we have uh, uh, freezing points sometimes, and every blue moon we have a little bit of snow. But, yeah, man, we got a warm December. Yesterday it was 70 degrees. Uh, today is about 60, 65. So yeah, we got a good, we're having a good start to our winter. Yeah. I mean, a lot different for me when I'm usually at home in New Zealand, it's summertime now. So we're used to having like a, a Christmas at a beach, uh, rather than a Christmas when it's snowing outside. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's definitely different over there compared to the other parts of the world, considering yeah. the season. <laughs> for sure. So, um, Dom, I've already pressed record so I can edit this later if we need to, but I think we should just get straight into it, eh? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So if everybody listening, uh, here with Dominic Thompson, we met at Devolution um, London, where he was a keynote speaker and also in my panel. Uh, Dom, thanks for taking time out of your sp- busy schedule to come chat to me. It's been uh, good to get to know you. No, thank you for the opportunity and, and thank you for the listeners that are tuning into this uh, podcast. I appreciate it. Cool. So... When I met you at Revolution, I actually had never heard of you before. Everybody else was like, oh my God, Dominic's on your panel. And I was like, I don't know who he is. So I tried <laughs> to find out as much as I could about you. And okay. your backstory is quite amazing, I think. Obviously, with the uh, going vegan in jail, I think a lot of people would find that very difficult. So I want to obviously talk about that. But before I get into that, I want to talk about your cow called Charlie. Um, okay. Maybe tell the listeners Charlie's story first, because I think that is really cool and really important. Um, yeah. And then maybe we can get more into your story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And just to back up a little bit, I didn't go vegan in prison. I went uh, plant-based, which means I technically you can define it as vegetarian. Uh, yeah. That was like 19 years ago. So we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more. But uh, yeah, uh, now in terms of Charlie. Um, Charlie is the amazing. biggest cow I've ever seen, really. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, he's the biggest cow I ever seen, too. And the cool thing about him being so large is uh, usually when you see cows that big, it's because they've been uh, uh, shot up with hormones and steroids and more. Uh, but Charlie naturally grew like he escaped a, a truck on his way to, he was, he was a calf on a truck, uh, heading for Ville and escaped it, ran off, uh, and eventually was, uh, rescued down the street in Ontario in Canada specifically, uh, mm-hmm. by Siobhan, uh, who's the founder of Cedars Row, uh, farm sanctuary, uh, amazing. So amazing family owned farm sanctuary and rescued this calf. Uh, but he, he later on, as as a calf grew grew to be about six five six six, uh, yeah. and if you look on my Instagram feed to your listeners, you would see at least four to five different photos of me and Charlie. We formed a bond, uh, me and Charlie, over the years. People may not realize this, but cow have very incredible uh, sensitive noses, and they remember a lot of different senses of humans, and so they remember you as you enter within a hundred yards of their. Um, uh, location of where they're they're located at they're very familiar with different human beings very intelligent creatures but he went on to grow about six five six six 
and about three close to 3,000 pounds, which is incredibly large. He's in, he's just a really, really big herbivore, really big boy. Uh, yeah. And now he's in Cedars Row at his forever home. Yeah, so how old is he at the moment? Uh, Charlie is, well, don't quote me on this, but he is about at least eight years old, seven to eight years old, I would say, I would give or take. Yeah, so a lot longer living than most cows that uh, get get bred in his situation, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah, and like you said, like I've been showing that video of you basically playing with Charlie. I've been showing everyone at work. I was like, look how big this bloody cow is. And they're like, yeah, yeah he, holy crap. He's huge. It's a couple of videos on my, my social media feed. Uh, Again, just as a reference point for the listeners, if they want to take a look at it, you can see how magnificent and big he is, especially in comparison to me. Uh, so, I, I mean, I'm a pretty large guy. I'm about six feet. And, uh, and I'm about, uh, uh, right now, 205 pounds. Uh, but I'm a large guy. I'm a fairly large guy. Uh, and those that have a chance to meet me will see that. But compared to this huge, amazing um, uh, animal, um, he, in one video specifically, it was in the summertime when I visit him. Usually I visit him once a year. I try my best to visit up there while I'm in Canada for work. And flies was flying around, which is typical of farm animals in the in a warm climate. But him moving his neck around just to get rid of the flies, you can see he almost tossed me. <laughs> and if you would have connected with my torso, I probably would have flew at least 20 feet. And it wasn't intentional, but he's just trying to get the flies around his neck as I was uh, grooming him and, and communicating with him. So, uh, but yeah, him and I have a very strong bond. Uh, he knows me. I know him. Uh, he comes up to me every time I see him. He's an amazing, uh, beautiful creature. Yeah, and it just shows that if you give, you know, creatures like that the chance, they can grow into beautiful creatures as well, right? And that's what we're kind of hoping that the world will slowly evolve to be. Yeah, um, they're very intelligent beings, definitely. So I think that's enough about Charlie. Let's talk, let's talk about you. <laughs> so obviously, you know, you said 19 years ago was when you went vegetarian, plant-based in prison, yeah? Yeah, for originally. about It's been about 19 years. Uh, I went my first week in prison, um, and I removed meat from my diet. And at that time, vegetarianism was uh, very closely related to veganism. We didn't have documentaries at that time. We didn't have books, influencers, social media. It's a whole different culture, a whole different generation, a whole different world. Um, and at that time, um, my former life, for people that I don't know my backstory, I am a former gang member from Chicago, uh, specifically the West Side. Um, I was a part of a gang, as well as I'm a former drug dealer, and meaning I sold uh, narcotics, uh, specifically, which ended up landing me into, uh, um, prison, uh, not state, not county, but federal prison where I had to go do some calendars, not do a month, not do a day, but I did, uh, about several years, close to several years, close, uh, in, in the, uh, U S prison system. And it was there that I decided to, really changed my life around within the first week. Um, um, I had always had a relationship in some capacity with the universe. I'm a spiritual guy and a religious guy, but uh, you know, obviously what landed me in there was my former actions and I don't condone them. I don't promote them. I don't say it was the cool thing to do. I'm from a very violent and poor neighborhood originally. And, I see my first murder at the age of five. So just to give you the contrast and the context of that, it was things that I had to do for survival. It was things that I was groomed to do and conditioned to do just to continue along with my path, if that makes sense. And so that eventually caught up with me and landed me into the prison system um, right when I was finishing college because I was the type of individual where I wasn't doing it just to do it. Like I, I had an out plan and I did, I was done, but it just so happened former dealings and that former lifestyle and a couple of informants. And you had a combination of that ended up catching up to me. 
and and there was an entrapment case and more, but um, it was there once the smoke settled, uh, where I came to the conclusion that there's a bigger purpose, and and everything at that moment remembers like it was yesterday. I was in my jail cell, my first week on my knees, um, trying to get some answers from the universe. And everything pointed to my childhood memory uh, when I was eight year old, uh, eight year old boy, eight year old Dominic. Uh, my mother was feeding us chicken wings. And I decided at that moment, I no longer wanted chicken wings. I was always a picky and finicky eater and I was always chick pick around the wings, but wings was, a staple in our household, so it was pork chops, because uh, that's all my mother was able to afford. We live in a what was called a food desert, and and, the, and she worked two to three jobs, and just plain and simple, that's all she was good for. Afford. Yeah. We we don't we we just didn't have that luxury to buy anything else. And that moment, looking at those wings, looking at my arms, then looking back at those wings, I pushed back and I told my mother, I don't know, I no longer want it. Uh, to consume those wings and she asked me why and I said because they look like little bitty arms <laughs> mm -hmm. and she was puzzled and shocked and processed what I said and my mother's a no-nonsense uh, black woman uh, from the civil rights area just no-nonsense outspoken alpha female mm -hmm. and she told me well you know you're not gonna eat but I'm my mother's child and and she always told me to speak my mind, no matter who it is, including her. And I told her, well, then I'm not going to eat. And we eventually, she eventually compromised and went on to go out and go buy me some fish sticks. So I ate a lot of processed foods and, and I ate a lot of carbs, but I ate a lot of fish and other forms of different white meat that was packaged in a sense to hide the attachment to the uh, the bone and the tendons of any animals that it was originally sourced from. Um, so with that being said, that memory popped in my head when I was in my jail cell and I got it because I'm a firm believer in karma. And my lawyer told me, uh, my lawyer educated me all about karma at that time prior to me going in there. And, and my understanding at that time and to this day, the way I view karma is this, that if the universe shows you something, no matter what it is, it could be something very small, something large, you can be an eight-year-old Dominic or you can be an 80-year-old Dominic. If you do not see through it and really uh, go towards that situation and, and, and absorb it and, and just really uh, uh, receive that message and, and, and in most scenarios, that message is for you to do some good then it's gonna come back to hunt you in some form or fashion, whether it be through um, a heartbreak, whether it be through financial um, um, loss, whether it be through a disease, sickness, a loss of a loved one. Karma is real, it's very real. And this was karma bringing me into the prison system, isolating me and giving me a chance to really truly do some self-love and self-development. And at that moment, when I realized that light bulb went off in my head in my prison cell, that's when I did a hard reset and decided to create this mantra for myself that if it requires harm, then nah, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so I decided to remove meat from my diet uh, and also decided to not only stop contributing to this multi-billion dollar industry that was destroying over 50 billion animals a year, I decided to no longer associate myself with any negativity, including other things that might harm human animals, including drugs in the community and more. I didn't want to go back into that lifestyle or be involved in any type of criminal activity or any type of heartbreak. And I never looked back. My life turned 180 around and I continued to ascend from that point on. It's mm. quite amazing. So how did the other inmates kind of, I guess, received that you were being vegetarian in prison. Like at that stage, it probably, you probably realized you didn't really give a crap about what they thought, but were they quite positive towards it? Like, did they like, I guess, give you crap for it? Like what was the, the attitude around that? Yeah, they, they didn't, they looked at me as a crazy and a weirdo, hence the name of one of my brands, <laughs> Crazies and Weirdos. Uh, they, they viewed, they, they was very, uh, 
puzzled by, but they also thought I was, you know, a Muslim then, you know, becoming uh, a Muslim or some type of um, studying with the monks and more. Because there, there's different, um, a lot of walks of life in federal prison. Because you have a, everybody from uh, people of color, uh, multiple colors from Native American, African American, Latina, and all of that, Latino, uh, to you name it. Uh, tons of men of color in the system as well as different beliefs and, and also non uh, uh, also too traditional from white collar crimes to mob bosses, you name it. So you got a diversity of, of men in there that we, with different beliefs, uh, kind of have an influence on a lot of each other. And I took that as an opportunity as an education point where I was able to learn why they think like this, why you think like this, what is your belief? Not to say I believe that, but it was an interesting time in my timeline to really uh, receive this energy and process it. And the same thing for them. You know, they seen how strong I became. I, I, when I came in the system, I was overweight. I was over 250 pounds. And then I dropped down within like three, two to three months to uh, like 190 was the lowest that I, 190, 187 was the lowest that I was at that time uh, in prison. Um, dropped a lot of weight. Um, I wasn't obese when I went in. I was just like a chubby guy from, you know, living a good life. And, and yeah. my weight just dropped dramatically, uh, where I became very lean still, but very, very still strong and muscular. And I went on. You got those pictures on your uh, Instagram as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you, again, as a reference point, you can see the before and after on my, my Instagram, but I went on to become one of the top 10 strongest guys in my specific prison as a, and this is a, a, a facility of over a thousand inmates because we will have what's called a liftoffs. And I was in the top 10, I was always beasting. I was always killing it. I was, I was uh, bench pressing four or five, like it was nothing repping it. Uh, mm -hmm. um, I was deadlifting uh, uh, five over 500 pounds. Like it was nothing repping it. Uh, squatting uh, close to 500 pounds. You know, I was just killing it in, in many capacities uh, on this new diet, all sourced from complex and simple carbs. Yeah. Yeah. But you traded, right, with the other inmates for your, for your yeah. meat? To this, yeah. Yeah. And they, they loved it. Like my cellmates, I, I, I would trade whatever they were serving on the line in the system in exchange for their carbs. So, they would take turns like, oh, we got Dom's, uh, I'm getting Dom chicken tonight or I'm getting Dom roast beef tonight or for lunch. And I just swap it out, you know, cause they didn't, they didn't give us second servings at all. You know what I mean? They had they load you up with carbs on the side, but that wasn't enough for me. Uh, again, we, we, I didn't know what was going to happen to my body at all. All I just know that I didn't want to have nothing to do with me. Um, and my own ignorance at the time, you know, not knowing that, there might be dairy or eggs and these carbs and like pastas and stuff like that. I was just like, load me up the pasta. As long as there's no meat on my plate, I was good. And I ate yeah. a lot of it. And it just produced an amazing aesthetic and also produced an amazing response. My body just physically really responded to that, that diet. Yeah. So it's almost like prison was good for you in a way. It was definitely a way for me to do some healing. I mean, look, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Uh, at all prison is very depressing every day feels like an eternity it's the most challenging thing honestly it took me up into the last two to three months before i was released to really accept and come to terms of that that schedule i, I mean i was always in denial i was always just uh stressed about it and more it was just not it's not the nothing I would wish on my worst enemy at all, but it definitely healed me in a lot of ways and definitely uh, um, produced a different man that you all know today, for sure. Uh, so it, it definitely, I, I benefited from it. I, I would be lying to, lying to you if I said that prison didn't make me a better man. Yeah, it definitely has made you who you are in a way. Yeah. Good. So when you got out, was it quite hard to not fall back into your old life? Like I imagine you're still in the same neighborhood. Like what was your diet 
like when you got back? Like, how was that kind of for you, fitting back into society? Yeah, get, adjusting to society was very challenging. It was in a lot of capacities, trying to find a job. I was also, I had to pay a sanction, um, I was all, uh, well, restitution rather. Uh, and I had to get a job and I was on house arrest. I, I basically got a 10 year sentence and five years of about hard, hard time, four to five a hard time. And I was got, got that reduced uh, for some good time in the drug program. Then got home, I had to deal with another term, uh, house arrest was part of my conditions, which mm. means well, I had to spend six months in a halfway house. But once I was released in the halfway house, I was required to have a job or I was going back. And two, I needed to um, be in my house from like 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And they would make, and I had to, I was required to have a phone in my apartment so they can call me randomly uh, at any time in the moment or stop by and make sure my vocals match was on the phone. Uh, and that was part of my house arrest. Um, so it was an adjustment and, and it went, and I went through uh, a, a period of time of just trying to just come to terms with this new lifestyle. You, you feel, you truly feel like a terrorist. You feel like, you know, it, it, it's one thing to have the people of your county or the people of your state um, and city against you in a in a um, a law proceeding or a case, but when you have the people of the United States, you have your own government, a big country, that view you as uh, someone that is a piece of shit. First time I was a first time offender, nonviolent, made a mistake. You mm. kind of feel like life is over. You know, you don't know what to do. And, and, I, and I, was able, I was luckily able to find a couple odd jobs and then get, get back into healthcare. Uh, so I got back on my feet and I took that opportunity and ran with it. I, I got a second chance in life. I fought for that second chance, but I eventually was able to get a, a um, decent position in corporate America uh, working in healthcare, and and I took that as an opportunity, as a new life, uh, okay. while adjusting on my new schedule. And adjusting on my new schedule, um, I, you know, we didn't have social media again at that time while I was home. We didn't have, um, we didn't have any Netflix or any other distractions. Um, mm. All the all we had was like blockbuster video. <laughs> hell we didn't even have dating sites and stuff like that so again it, it, it was i had a lot of time on here i couldn't even go to the gym so I, I did you know my prison workout and did a lot of isolated moves in my apartment um and it was during this time my mother um she just recently got married she she got married at that during that time um and she married her husband, who was originally from St. Thomas Island. And they would go once a year to his island to visit his family and loved ones. And mm -hmm. they just, and it was that, it was this one year when I was going through my transition, she was able to basically fall in love with this puppy that came out of this litter of uh, dogs. And, and people that ever been to islands and stuff knows. A lot of dogs run straight, they, they're not fixed and stuff like that. So this little fur ball that looked like Gizmo from the Gremlins was scratching at my mom's feet and my mom looked down. And my mom, honestly, is not an a animal person in that sense. Uh, but this little uh, dog, this puppy that was probably, I, I don't know, maybe six weeks old, very small and fits in her hand, was just gave her the eyes that she couldn't resist. And my mom fought with customs and brought her back to the state. And this, this puppy was having a hard time adjusting to the dogs that my mom's husband had, which was chihuahuas, and it was trying to harm her and all of that. And so my mom would, would call her, like cuddle with her and call her, put her in the bed with her and stuff like that because they was trying to harm this puppy. It was a different breed. And her and her husband will fight about this. So she told me about like, she's like, I'm fighting with him. Cause he was like, no, she need to be down there with her brothers and sisters being traditional uh, guy, uh, you know, just a hard nosed guy. Like, well, they all need to get in the bed. And mm. we, you know, they were just fighting over this puppy. And I said, listen, 
I got nothing but time on my hand. I grew up raising dogs like German Shepherd, big dogs. I had no idea what breed of dog she was talking about. But I said, bring me your dog. And, you know, I got nothing but time on my hand. I would raise her and give her back to you when she gets bigger. And my mom shows up in my place on a Saturday, knocks on the door. And I opened up the door. And I looked at my mother. I said, where's she at? She pointed down and, that, and at her feet was this amazing ball of energy that looked up me with big, the biggest biggest beautiful brown eyes i picked her up and that's the first time my mother seen me crack a smile since i came <laughs> home uh from prison because i was militant i was on some malcolm x shit and yeah. my mom started crying and uh because she thought prison took my soul she said that a lot prison took my soul but this little furball instantly had an affectionate energy and and i fell in love and that's what everybody knows today is my dog, my, my girl, my daughter, yeah. uh, Scruffnik, uh, Soka. And so Soka, that's how she came into my life uh, because I was able to spend my, my downtime on house arrest outside of work with her. Soka was my social media. She was my blockbuster video. She was my everything. We would run around my apartment. We formed a bond. She got bigger and stronger. And if you ever hear her bark, that's why she had the bark of like a big dog. She just <laughs> has all the confidence in the world. She felt, you know, she was raised by a former gangster. And <laughs> yeah. She, uh, yeah, she just, she don't back down from no dog. She's a G. She, she has her own little personality. She's an amazing soul. So I say all this to say she saved my life. She helped me transition with my adjustment into society. And, and yeah, I adjusted and we... We was able to manage that for two years, that type of schedule uh, where I come home and spend time with her. And me and my lawyer went in front of my judge to show that I'm reformed. I'm doing everything. I, I am just hitting all the check boxes. It's just rare for a felon to do what I did to bounce back in that capacity and truly passionately do all he can just to be a better citizen. And my mm -hmm. judge knocked off the rest of my sentence, reduced it. And I, I was done with house arrest. And I went on to grow in healthcare and move out of the city and get promoted into executive position. And the rest is history. Well, the rest we can get into, into a little bit later on, but that term of adjustment is what really ascended me into a whole new life. Yeah, it's quite amazing your story with your dog because I obviously see your dog on Instagram and social media, but also like you are very strong in saying and encouraging other people to go and rescue dogs and cats because of that potential of like saving yourself as well in a way. Right. It's kind of like that link between looking after a dog, saving a dog and, you know, like what you did, making it, you know, a part of the family. Yeah. I think for the most part, people that know me, and I talk about this, it's quick. People forget dedicated fans that remember everything about you, remember different points and posts. And I talk about this openly, her origin story, and why we have such a strong bar, why she means so much to me, why animals mean so much to me. And that is really one of the focal points that if anyone takes anything away from this discussion today, Soka is, uh, and that's her legal name, but everybody knows her as Scruff, Scruff McFly. She <laughs> is the reason why you see my unconditional love for her all on my ground because this little furball saved my life. Um, and I saved hers too when I switched her diet over to going vegan because uh, mm. uh, she was only originally supposed to live until she was six years old. Um, she was born with an enlarged heart and some other heart issues and they wanted me to put her down. She was having a very difficult time breathing as she got older and I couldn't do it. I fought like hell and I did a holistic approach. I knew nothing about the anatomy of dogs at that time, but I went down that rabbit hole because this is right around the time I transitioned to vegan completely. And when I learned about the dairy, when I learned the dairy industry, I was like, fuck that because I went vegetarian and plant-based for the animals. I thought, and I was advocating for animals in prison. I was advocating for animals, all like me, a vegetarian, and leave animals alone, but eating a pint yeah. of ice cream, not realizing where it come from, because we didn't have that information. And then the information came out. And then around that time too, earthlings came out and everything was just happening like boom, boom, boom. Then I was finally on my feet to go down 
multiple rabbit holes of the dairy industry, including studying the anatomy of my own uh, baby girl. And that's when I mm. learned dogs are truly omnivores. They can eat meat-based or plant-based. So I switched her diet up and she never looked back. She thrived and now she's been vegan now or plant-based rather for about nine years, double her lifespan. She's going to be 14. Um, it's crazy. Well. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. So when you went vegan, I think this is a big thing that a lot of people like I going vegetarian for the animals and then they go through that same realization that you did as well you're like holy shit what the hell is happening in the dairy industry do you think that is attributed now to the rise of social media and how easily that information can spread i think for people now yeah i think people that decide to remove meat out there died without having the resources or the the know-how the first thing you think you see something inhumane happening to an animal whether a commercial camera crosses your 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 uh, tv or a post about animal, a chicken or animal being slaughtered. And your first thing you think is as a human, like, oh, is that where our food come from? I want to have nothing to do it, do with it. So I think people that denounce they're going to eat meat, they forget about the other industries and the other products that are sourcing for animals, from the clothes you wear to some of your breads and alcohol has animal products in it and stuff like that. And people just as visual creatures don't, really think about where cheese comes from or, or or milk in general you just don't stop to think like that's a source of animal you just think it as like oh that's just food that's how we've been conditioned so i think most people go from being vegetarian to vegan really really fast compared to when i did because of social media it's definitely uh has been a help because they see things that we just didn't have back then we didn't have social media to show us pretty much what was happening behind closed doors and truly what was happening to animals. We just didn't have that education um, platform at all. Yeah. I remember when I first went vegan and my mom was uh, sitting across the table from me and I said, can I not have that milk? And she was like, but it's dairy. Like, why didn't you want that? And, you know, she was like, cows make milk naturally. And I had to explain to her the process in which the cow has to make or how it makes milk based on what happens on a dairy farm. And she didn't know any of that either. And this was only like three years ago. So it's crazy how we're brought up now in a society where we have all that information to us. Yeah, so much information at the, at the click of our fingers, at the click of our mouths. Uh, mm. It's a lot of wealth of information in there about our food system and more and, and right now it's definitely a, a good time to learn um, from a lot of different resources from the nutrition component to the environmental impact and more importantly to what's happening to another animal uh, like you because humans are animals too but another animal that just wants to coexist and thrive without any uh, interference and, or being destroyed Absolutely. What do you think is going on with uh, the people that choose, you know, after they've seen that footage and choose to continue eating animal products? Yeah, I think they're in denial. I think a lot of things are happening. You have people that tend to not be persuaded by someone that's close to them or intimately close with them. So if you have a girlfriend that shows them a documentary, you got to think about it a lot of men are defensive and they feel like if they didn't discover it in a, on his own, because naturally human beings, we are natural explorers. And they thinking like, oh, I didn't explore that topic on my own. Why should I listen to this person? My girlfriend, what does she know? Or my friend, somebody in, in close. But if you discover it on your own from a third party source, then you may start to really question your decisions and stuff like that. And that's just sometimes a natural defense mechanism in place. That's just the way that he, a lot of humans work. Uh, and other times, it can be tradition. Uh, and other times, some people, we got to understand, we need to understand that not all humans are wired chemically or biologically the same. Some people do lack a compassionate way of thinking. Um, and some people do believe in different religions and believe animals are truly here for us. They do. They, and they go to their grave thinking that. Uh, there's over 7 billion people in the world close to 8 billion people in the world 
you got to believe not everyone's going to think like you and I or anyone else that has decided to uh, go vegan uh, for the multiple reasons that they went vegan. Mm, it is crazy. I also think there is a component of people just being like lazy. Like we live in a non-vegan world. So therefore I'm just going to eat what I've always eaten or, you know, whatever's at the shop down the road, I'm going to just have, because that's what I've always done. I think that's going to obviously change when the world is, says, you know, London is crazy vegan. Now it's like you, it is so easy to be vegan here. So why not? Yeah. You, 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 there's definitely a small percentage of people are just lazy and just honestly don't care. They just want convenient because they live in, and those people are usually, the, the, usually the lazy ones are privileged. And, and, you know, they come from a very privileged background and they are used to things being handed to them or served through them, uh, whether they're going to di a dining experience or order food and stuff like that. Because most people that aren't lazy are cooking at home or just trying to get some canned foods and other sources of carbs that are inexpensive compared to a cut of meat because that's all they can afford, you know? Um, and that, and for those that don't decide to go vegan, that's just an educational piece missing where they don't realize if you eat more whole plant-based, it's, it's very, in, in comparison, eating whole plant-based mm. in the perimeter of the grocery store compared to you going inside the perimeter to buy boxed foods and reprocessed food, you're going to always save more money just staying in a whole plant-based diet, always. And it's Absolutely. healthier. Yeah, yeah, sure. So when you first went vegan, were you still mates or friends with some of your old buddies? Like, how do you deal with people kind of, you know, holy crap, you've gone vegan. That's different. That's weird. Like, how do you deal now with those people as well? So uh, my personality type and the type of man that I am, people have always respected my decisions. They never question it. They, you got some people that, growing up are just those people that maybe are following the lead of the trend or some people that um, always make irrational decisions and go back to make a different decision. I have always been a guy that's been consistent. So if I did something, I stuck with it. You understand what I mean? And they respected that. So I never had pushback from people really within my circles or growing up or in community uh, people, which is very small because a lot of my homies were either dead or in jail, but they viewed it like, oh, Dom is just on this diet or this way he eat, but fuck that. It couldn't be me. But now, after all the years of just being a walking billboard and me not looking like a lot of them their age, I don't look like nobody in my age bracket. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and as far as physically and also, uh, from a, if you remove the muscular structure and just look at my face compared to my peers and my age group, they see it's worked for me. You know, food turns on good genes and genetics. So I, now I got a lot of people reaching out to me because they care about their health because their health is deteriorating or they don't feel good and they, and they just want to change it. You know, and and that's and and I'm here to help them. I'm definitely here to help them. Yeah, I mean, you asked that question at that talk at Evolution of how old people you know, how old people thought you were. And I don't think anyone got it right or even close to it. So um, yeah, it's good. And speaking of that talk, I remember coming up to you afterwards and saying, if I wasn't already vegan, I would have been by the end of that talk. So whatever you're doing with that, keep it going because that was probably one of the best prepared and spoken. I think it just really was, it just made logical sense. I was like, that makes logical yeah. sense. And therefore I should like it. I can't see why other people wouldn't think the same way. Yeah, I appreciate those kind words, man. It was, and the funny thing about it, I, I didn't realize until prior to my trip, they informed me that it was only going to be 20 minutes long. Um, and that was the shortest keynote. I mean, I've been doing keynotes for five plus years now in this space. And that was the shortest uh, amount of time I have. So it, it it's definitely uh, rewarding to hear that you was able to get a lot of that information out in just 20 minutes, uh, receive a lot of information that I talked about in 20 minutes. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I think, um, it's a good way of doing it even for people that aren't into the vegan thing, you know, that it will open their eyes. It may not turn them vegan, but it's definitely another, you know, another seed, uh, to kind of, you know, think, Oh, maybe I should, you know, and then I'll just take time to get there. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it also shows, uh, the good thing I liked about the evolution and, and I encourage other event planners and uh, promoters to take a cue from is, it's good to diversify your lineup of speakers. You know what I mean? Because uh, not every, we, that's what's beautiful about our community. We have people that come from all walks of life, from um, the widest to the darkest, from the largest to the smallest, from the strongest to the, 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 the weakest, however you want to define it. It's a very diverse community. And the more we show that diversity in media or outside of media or on stage, the more inclusive and the more attractive it becomes, it becomes for other communities outside of our community to want to join. Yeah, absolutely. It's basically a club that anyone can join and feel welcome. Yeah, it's true. It is a club that anyone can join. Not to me, not not to say that we we want some racist bigots and shit. But yeah, you're right. Anybody <laughs> can join it for sure. You're right. It's an open club. <laughs> <laughs> they won't last long. Um, so obviously, backtracking a little bit. You obviously were doing your bodyweight workouts at home when you had to and then you kind of i guess took a once you got the bracelet off and everything you could then leave home and you got into endurance endurance sports is that right got into what type of sports endurance so you started doing that traffic yeah yeah endurance yeah yeah i um so once i was released from house arrest and and then i ended up moving to nashville tennessee for a a position in healthcare that I couldn't turn down a new position to run um, Kentucky and Tennessee and parts of Georgia, that market. I took it um, and me and the little one packed our bags, rode it. And then we had an acquisition the first year. And then I moved to Georgia, Atlanta uh, to run the Georgia market after that acquisition. And then we had another acquisition with, I'm at the same company and, and, and they sent me to I eventually, uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, went to New York, uh, but it was all, you know, uh, it was a good experience um, after that acquisition. And when I got to New York, New York is when I really found my endurance uh, spirit, um, when I just really finally had a chance to really settle into this lifestyle and really understand my diet even more. You know what I mean? Like I had a chance mm -hmm. to really not – because those long subway, so going into, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to New York, but those that know New yeah. York, you are on the train and you got your backpack, you're going into work. Uh, so you listen to music while well, I'm listening to podcasts and I'm listening to information or I'm reading articles. Just that's when I had a chance to really take the time to really uh, study my diet and more and, and really start to make tweaks and, and, and eat even more raw and in that sense. But I always, always wanted to, from the very first Iron Man that I seen on TV as a little boy, because we only had like three or four channels growing up. But I remember in the 80s seeing these men on NBC network, uh, it wasn't a cable network, run. And it just looked inspiring. And that and I, and I thought like, one day I'm gonna do that. You know, one day I'm gonna do that. Uh, and it just so happened a friend of mine, he stayed two hours, three hours away from me in DC. Um, and he told me he was doing triathlons and he seen me getting it in and doing my thing on social media and more like, cause I, and everybody knows like those that know about how my account grew organically and we can talk about that a little bit later on but those that knew uh, knew me in a personal level and also what i was putting out into the space of social media always knew i would have been a strong one of the strongest vegan guys like i mm. I, I i look very heavy so going you're not built like an endurance athlete <laughs> no not at all not at all and this is prior and so imagine me before endurance like i was just like dude like killing yeah. it like killing it i had from i was just killing i was i was a i was a freak of nature with this new diet you had a combination of a plant-based diet uh, and my background, my background is football and powerlifting and prison yard work. Like you, you, you it's, <laughs> a, it's a recipe for 
an amazing physique and an amazing output uh, of energy and strength. And so, but I can do that. It's just natural. I can do that with my eyes closed. It wasn't really challenging to me, right? You know what I mean? So, but then my boy was like, hey, you know, listen, I know you're in New York now. Hey, I'm doing these triathlons. I want you to do something with me. What you think about doing with me? Like, he, it was like a challenge. He challenged me. And I thought, like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. Because um, I, I was making decent money at that time. Um, uh, and because those bikes, triathlon bikes, shit, they're expensive. <laughs> <laughs> they're expensive. And, uh, but I was able, you know, I was making decent money as a healthcare executive. And I decided to buy me a bike and take this challenge like he challenged me he was like yo i'm gonna kick your ass and in, in triathlon and i looked there as a challenge because i was in gym rat shape right you know and i was like whatever i i think i got i got this i got this <laughs> yeah and i jumped out the window dude like i i did i didn't most people ease they went to triathlons i jumped out the window did very limited training because i like i said i was in gym rat shape thing and i can bang with the best of them but i signed up for a 70.3 iron man like i, I, I <laughs> like I, I didn't go sign up for a like baby next problem. I was like, Fuck that. <laughs> right because that's my that was my that's my personality type like in some capacity excuse me in some capacities that was definitely then i'm very rational and, and calculated now but if I'm gonna jump out the window, I'm not gonna say let's stay at the first floor. I'm gonna say let's go to the roof and jump. In terms of that was my mentality and state of mind. Go hard and don't go go big and don't go at all. You know what I mean? And I and, and honestly, I would have signed up for a full, but there was no full around. I didn't want to fly over across the water or across the, the country just for a full Ironman. Wanted to do it within my region. And the next one was coming up when he was talking shit. He's like, "Listen, I'm doing 70.3 Timberland up in um, New Hampshire." I was like, fuck it, I'm down. Bought my bike, did minimal training, and it was the worst fucking race of my life. <laughs> I imagine it's probably gone better Dude, since it was so, I was so miserable, and I was, I was in so much pain. Like, I, because I, I thought I was in shape, and that was just, it was, it was also a coming, it was very rewarding in the sense that you realize that, and I talk about this a lot in my talks, there are people that look physically in shape. They got the aesthetics, they got the abs, they, they can go to the gym and probably lift heavy weights and do other things, but you ask them to go do some cardiovascular, they'll run a couple miles, they'll go pass out. Uh, cardiovascular is truly a measure of your health. It really is. Uh, not lifting weights, because there are people that naturally can lift weights and bang with the best of them, but they don't mean that they're the top athlete, they don't mean that they're in the top shape. Uh, mm. And that was, that was when I realized I'm not getting it. I'm not. I'm not. Like, no one says, let's go play a triathlon. To go swim, to go bike, and then do a full marathon is a whole different level of insanity. <laughs> yeah, and, but I be, but I can't, but I became hooked. And I, and I went on to do over, like, a combination of between uh, short distance to long distance to marathons to century rides and more to Spartans. I went on to do over 50 races. I became hooked. It was one of the best things I could ever do because uh, you're constantly challenging your body. You are constantly chasing your own PRs. You are constantly amongst people that don't look it from someone's grandmother passing you up, flying past you to someone's grandfather out swimming you uh, to the youngest, to the oldest. It, it's just a really amazing sport to be involved in where everyday Joes and everyday Janes are getting it in. That's what inspired me. Not I've never been inspired by somebody's physical aesthetic. I've been more inspired by the adversity they face and specifically women athletes, meaning like they out there in those endurance sports doing circles around the men. They're faster, they're stronger. That's inspiring to me or or to that male or that female that work a nine to five, but they're weakened warriors. You know, they don't have this yeah. million dollar facility or this million dollar payroll where they are expected to produce at a high level no they work every day like you and me and they go out there and get it in that's inspiration and that's why, why i became addicted to it yeah because i could just as easily stay at home and do a call but to have you know got the motivation to do something that's better and good for them right 
Yeah, it's it's amazing. You got all you got all walks of life that are participating in that sport, where it could be someone that has three children and a, a working mom, a single mom, to uh, somebody that has a physical handicap, just doing amazing stuff, man. That's truly inspiring. It really is. Endurance sports is a world of inspiring individuals from all walks of life. I agree. Um, I mean, I always think about doing one and then I'm like, I can't swim very well. I'm going to sink. <laughs> so we definitely need to work on that. If we need to work yeah. on that. The running and the yeah. cycling, I think would be the easy part for me. The swimming. Not the so swim no, listen, the, most people can't swim. The, the, the best swimmers are usually those that have former collegiate experience or they're, mm -hmm. they've been swimming since they've been kids. Listen, I, I'm not the best swimmer either. Uh, and naturally I, all my muscle mass kind of, uh, I have no buoyancy. And so I'm definitely one of the, I'm in the middle tier to the last tier coming out the water, but I, I, I catch up on that bike and that run. So you too can do the same. You know, swimming is definitely the most challenging. Even if you are a good swimmer, it's just more of a challenging mentally because you in that water at the start and throughout, the, throughout that first discipline, uh, especially if you do an Ironman, you're in the water with over a thousand athletes swimming, kicking, and you'll either get swimmed on or you're swimming over somebody. You got to have the mental stability and the mental toughness to, to handle that pressure because it almost feel like you're being closed in. And if you have claustrophobia uh, syndrome or uh, you're yeah. scared of, of that type of fear, you, you, it may not be for you, you know, at, the, at this time. You need to really get over that fear because that swim portion is one of the most scariest parts of triathlon. Yeah, I can imagine. So obviously when people see what you look like uh, on Instagram, you probably get a lot of messages asking how much protein you have and all the macro splits and all that stuff that I know people don't really care about. Like people like us, we don't really focus on any of that stuff. So how do you kind of plan your eating? Like what kind of guidelines do you try and follow when you are maybe training for an Ironman, but even just like keeping in shape and being healthy naturally. Yeah. You know, I historically used to macro count. Uh, but as I mentioned in my talk, that's a young man's game. I don't do it anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's just I, I, complicating I, things, right? Yeah. It's just too complicated. Life is, life is meant to be uh, experienced, meaning, at, at my age, I should have an idea. And I, and I also eat based on if my body says it's hungry. I don't go play those games. And I'm not going on stage to look a certain way. So I don't care about macro. I'm just not that in love with the physique of my body. It's just so happen I eat good, whole, whole, mainly whole plant-based, and it works itself out between me being physically active. Now, I will say this. I do have an idea of my macros because uh, I used to count them. Um, um, but I don't count them at all. And the only time I do pay attention to what's going in my body, because it could be dangerous if I don't, is when I am training for a triathlon. Because I have to be aware of the calories that's going in my body so I don't, my body doesn't shut down and go into a different state uh, where it can be dangerous. Uh, I have to continue to fuel my body on that. But when I'm maintaining, no, I don't macro count. I get about 50 to 100 grams of protein per day, sometimes less than 50 grams. And I remember when that guy asked that question and everyone was like, what? Was like, how much protein do you have? We were just having a, a very uh, in-depth conversation about health and mental health. And then he asked how much protein you have. And um, you respond between 50 to 100. And that goes against, obviously, what most people are being told, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also, because I think a lot of people don't study truly how the body processes protein. And a lot of people don't understand there's only so much the body can break down a protein. The body depends on your, it's a combination of your genetics, uh, your size and the type of protein, but the body usually only, only processes in one sitting and serving um, anywhere between 10 to maybe 25-ish grams of protein. It really depends on, like I said, those, those factors. And the rest is going out your ass. You know, you're just, it's waste. It's, it's yeah. human waste that just doesn't go used. It's not even stored. Uh, so I think people don't understand that that's the science behind that. Uh, and they should get, get a chance to learn that. Yeah, I think so as well. Rather than just hear what 
other people say they should try it themselves, see what happens. Yeah. You know, actually get professional advice, not just so-and-so looks good on Instagram there. I find it really weird or annoying when people just charge people on Instagram to count their macros or to figure out their macros. And like, you can get that on a free calculator. Just, yep. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to pay for that. Um, yeah. I one, agree. Of my, one of my pet hates. I'm just kind of like, you shouldn't be paying for that. That's free. You should be, responsibility. <laughs> you should be paying for that kind of thing. Um, just coming to the end before we kind of wrap up, tell me more about what you're doing these days. Like obviously you've got your crazies and weirdos. You've got your eat what elephants eat. Uh, what yeah. else is going on? Or maybe just yeah, talk more about those two businesses. Yeah. Crazies and weirdos. We're, we're, we're still, uh, thriving with that's a company I started about seven eight years ago um, where it, it became a passion project um, where I use my platform to help raise awareness about NGOs and other organizations doing good stuff for animal rights and that company took off with our first shirt t-shirt campaign eat what elephants eat and followed by our second t-shirt campaign Clark Kent was vegan which was so well received that you have celebrities from all walks of life endorsing it, including the biggest of them that posted it to her Instagram at the time, Miley Cyrus. Um, so that company, we're one of the oldest uh, original clothing and t-shirt companies in the community. Now you have hundreds and hundreds of them, uh, but we will continue to evolve and continue to grow. And going into the new year, we will be introducing our casual line of clothing. And by the way, all our clothes are handmade in New York from recycled or organic materials. Uh, nothing that is made through child labor. And in fact, our prints are powered by solar power energy. So I'm really proud of the fact that we ethically source and produce our clothes uh, to the best of our ability. Um, and the quality is just really amazing. Uh, so that's crazies and weirdos. And then uh, eat what elephants eat is my food and nutrition company our food and nutrition company we launched earlier this year january 1st is a subscription service where we teach people how to eat plant-based so if you're an omnivore or a vegan if you're a rookie in the kitchen where you got five minutes or you're an amazing chef that has 60 minutes if you are on a budget or if you are a working professional single mother it doesn't matter we created this online platform for you to access over 3,000 plant-based meals that come with macro and micro information as well as access to our food coaches you can have access through chat email even call us Monday through Friday from nine to five um, and you can remove up to 700 ingredients no matter your preference or allergies you name it we truly want people to eat plant-based and more importantly our mission is to make not only plant-based eating accessible but more importantly affordable so that's why for less than two dollars a week in u.s dollars you have access to all of these resources so there's really no excuse of where you can't go to learn about this beautiful beautiful way to eat um, for the better part of the world the animals and yourself so that's yeah. eat what elephants eat um, it's an amazing company we're developing our superfood lines that'll be launching next year uh, and then we're going to, in the next one or two years, launch juice smoothie bars, as well as a couple of restaurants. So that's what's happening. Sounds like it's going to be huge. Yeah, that's the goal. Uh, to yeah. just really build this amazing ecosystem up where people from all walks of life can be served, no matter their, their, uh, their status, uh, their background, and their community. Yeah, and it's pretty much a very similar kind of mantra that I have is my job is to make your life easier. So if you're here because you want to be plant-based or you have some goals that you want to achieve, my job is to make your life easier and to make sure that you're healthy. And that's exactly what you're doing, right? Um, yes, sir. I, ha I have checked out that website and it is amazing. The, like, the foods that you can just basically say, I'm allergic to these or I don't like these and cut them out. So just, yeah just makes it so much easier the meal planning done for you and yeah it's, it just makes there not be many excuses to kind of not eat this way absolutely absolutely 
pill, mate. Well, I need to go because I've got a client soon. <laughs> so <laughs> no um, before, before I say goodbye, I obviously want to say thank you for um, doing this. I think it's been amazing to kind of hear the long version of your story um, because it is even better than that 20-minute one that we heard back in London. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? They can reach out to me directly. I'm on Instagram. That's Doms, D-O-M-Z-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, Doms Thompson. That's through my Instagram. Um, and if you need help in food and nutrition, please go to at Eat What Elephants Eat. And if you just want to buy some cool gear, you can go to at Crazies and Weirdos, A-N-D, Weirdos. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll put all that stuff in the, the post and the show notes when uh, I post this so people can just click on all the links and go from there. All right, mate. Well, so, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. I appreciate your time.